morning's Bible reading is from Daniel 7, verses 1 to 18. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and a human mind was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thorns were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch, because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his, his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four, great the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Thank you.
Okay, please keep that part of the Bible open. If you're on a device, keep it open too, but turn Do Not Disturb on. That's my tip. If you've got a smartphone, um, watch thing, Bluetooth off, all that. Um, we want to be able to concentrate because we're into now kind of a tricky part of Daniel, and so let's pray that we'll understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at um, Daniel chapter 7 this morning, Lord, please help us to see your world the way you see it, and Lord, please help us to see Jesus clearly, we pray in his name. Amen. We live in a world where bad things just keep happening. A few years ago, I was roasting coffee and the coffee roaster broke. It might seem like nothing until you think through the implications of no coffee. I got another lamp and tried to install that in the coffee roaster and I broke that in the process. You know, bad things just keep happening in this world. And I know that's a bit of an annoying, silly, frivolous little example, but serious bad stuff happens too. Painful things. Accidents happen, sickness, natural disasters, pandemics, things which are outside our control that make life difficult. But often what's worse is the things that are in our control, the things that we do <laughs> that make life horrible for other people, the pain we inflict on other people, the stuff we do, each, do to each other, the things we deliberately set out to do to hurt someone, the stuff that we intentionally do that harms and disadvantages other people. There's selfishness, there's greed, there's anger, there's rage, there's bullying, there's hate, there's neglect and indifference. We live in a world where we can inflict all sorts of pain and suffering on other people, do an incredible amount of harm, and we're all capable of it. And so it makes sense that when you put any of, the, of us human beings in places of authority or positions of authority and power, then those leaders, those rulers are capable of inflicting all sorts of pain and suffering on a much bigger scale than any individual could. We live in a world where leaders and rulers can be beastly in the way that they treat the people, in the things that they do to people. I mean, watching the news at the moment, hearing news out of Afghanistan gives you a glimpse into you know, what this can be like. Um, the willful pain inflicted by the Taliban, the incredible, horrible killing by ISIS, the denial of responsibility and stupid behaviour from the allied forces, all this sort of stuff. It's the problems that we make as people because we're able to, it's within our ability to. People have lost their lives at the hands of the worst human behaviour. And there's leaders out there who seem to know no moral limits, no bounds. So we live in a world where we know power and authority are misused and abused. It's a fairly grim way to start a sermon on a Sunday morning. But when you look here in Daniel chapter 7, that's the picture that's being painted for us. A grim picture. I mean, you look at this, these images that go through Daniel's mind at night and it keeps him up. It's disturbing to him. When Daniel's dream is unpacked, we see all the sorts of horror that beastly rulers can inflict. And so what I want us to appreciate though as we look deep into the Old Testament and here into Daniel 7 is the, the world that's being described back then is the world we live in now. The dates have changed, but the world Daniel lived in is the world we live in. We live in a world where rulers will fail to rule. Um, if you think about the historical setting of Daniel chapter 7, this 
is stuff that happened, was inflicted upon the people of God, Israelites. Um, God's people that have been defeated by brutal enemies. First of all, you had um, Israel suffering at the at defeat from the hand of the Assyrians, but Jerusalem escaped. And then along came the Babylonians and conquered Judah and, and Jerusalem. And the Babylonian Empire, they dragged the, the Israelites across into Babylon, people like Daniel, to serve a foreign king. Horrible things were inflicted on people. People were killed. Lives were turned upside down. And here we are reading a record of events in the reigns in the reign of the Babylonians. That's what we've got here in Daniel. Daniel lived in a very hard part of the world. And so we've looked at six chapters already. Across chapters one to six, we have a record there of how Daniel served these harsh rulers in Babylon. In chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar, he got so angry that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. That's horrible behavior. He did that because they couldn't tell him what his dream was. In chapter three, we saw how Nebuchadnezzar had Daniel's three friends thrown into a furnace to burn them to death because they wouldn't bow down to a statue that he set up. In chapter 6, we saw Daniel thrown into a den of lions because he wouldn't stop praying to God. Daniel lived in a hard part of the world, and we've seen that in chapters 1 to 6. And here in chapter 7 and into the next half of Daniel, 7 to 12, what we get are these visions that Daniel saw during this time. And this vision in chapter 7... I think it's here intended to encourage Daniel to keep trusting that God's working to a plan. There will be an ending. There will be a happy ending. It's just a matter of time. Um, why would we want to read this, though? Well, because as we read it as Christians, it gives us an understanding of the way God works, the way God acts, the way God does things. And because as we read this, we get a picture of what it looks like to actually faithfully live for God in a hostile world. And because when we look at this part of the Bible, it does help us understand everything that God has achieved for us in Jesus. So this part of um, Daniel, it informs and shapes our trust and our, our obedience to Jesus. And so with that kind of windy introduction, have a look at chapter 7. As you look across this chapter, the stuff that Rian just read for you, it is an account of a vision. It's a vision which, if you look down in verse 15, it's a vision that troubled Daniel. So verse 15 says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Even after he's had this vision explained to him, have a look at the end of the chapter, down in verse 28, I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale. It's not an easy vision for Daniel to have seen, or visions for him to have seen. It's disturbed him. Initially, he didn't know what to do with it. He kept it to himself. In the end, in verse 28, it says, I kept this matter to myself. But eventually, he must have worked out that he should write this down because that's how we start the chapter with um, 7 verse 1 with Daniel writing down these things. Daniel 7 verse 1, this vision, it was during the time, the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. We've already met him in chapters 1 to 6. Specifically in chapter 5. He wasn't a good ruler. He would have been a hard ruler to live under. So chapter 5 tells us Belshazzar is the foolhardy son or the foolhardy descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was humble before God, but Belshazzar didn't care. He paid no attention to any of that. Belshazzar willingly ignored everything um, Nebuchadnezzar had learned. He had total disregard for the God of Israel. And no doubt that was um, that shaped the way that he ruled and the things that he asked for in his kingdom. And I wonder if, as Daniel sees this vision, I wonder if he sees Belshazzar characterised 
in this vision, perhaps as one of the beasts in the vision. Maybe that's what is so troubling to him. What exactly does Daniel see in this vision? Well, as you look through the verses that were read, he sees four beasts rising up out of the ocean, out of the sea. Um, And as each beast is introduced, it seems like each beast is worse than the one you just heard about. We're told in verse 17 that these beasts represent four kingdoms. They're hideous, awful, powerful kingdoms. Um, The beasts in the vision, they represent rulers who are beastly in how they rule. The first beast may have been transformed. Um, He may not have been as bad. So in verse 4, you meet the first beast. Uh, The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. If you try to kind of get yourself in... Daniel's headspace at this point as he sees this. I wonder if that makes him think of Nebuchadnezzar. Has his wings ripped off? He's humbled before God. Perhaps. But we're not told that in the text. We're not told you should be thinking of this first beast as Nebuchadnezzar. That information is not given to us. And if you do try to unravel who each of these beasts are, you kind of get a bit confused because, for example, in verse 12, it makes it sound like all these kings overlap in their rule. They're not sequential. So just hold off on you know, assigning a one-to-one relationship between each beast and a particular king. Just hold back. Just look for patterns for the moment. The second kingdom is worse. So in the second half of verse 5, it was raised up on one of its sides. Maybe it's a picture of um, about to pounce, perhaps. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. That's a very horrible picture, isn't it? Just get out there and destroy and eat flesh. Um, I can understand why Daniel was disturbed seeing this vision. The third beast is not any better than the second, but again it's likened to an animal form. And then along comes the fourth, which sounds worse again. So if you look at verse 7, After that in my vision at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. The fourth beast isn't even likened to an animal. It's kind of beyond that. It's horrible. More details are given, and it's like the the vision slows down and zooms in, and you see these horns on its heads, and the horns interacting. It's like this horrible, horrible picture in this kingdom. So I think, yeah, as we look at it, we can understand why Daniel would have been troubled. This is more like a nightmare. And Daniel probably had painful realities that were brought to mind as he was watching this, things that have happened to him and happened to his friends, experiences that they've lived through. As you look at the way this is recorded for us, though, it, it, we did Revelation at church, didn't we? And it sounds a lot like Revelation, doesn't it? And it's because it is. It's the same style of writing, the same genre. It's what people have labelled apocalyptic, which is kind of like the anglicised version of the word for unveiling, revealing, pulling back the curtain to see what's behind. And so this is like a vision that unveils what's happening in the world, gives you you God's perspective on it, perhaps, this revealing. Um, There's other apocalyptic literature in the Bible, like Revelation, and there's other apocalyptic literature outside the Bible as well. It's a style of writing that's packed with these images and symbolism and numbers. Daniel is disturbed by this revelation, this 
apocalypse of poor beasts. But then while he's in that kind of messiness, you look down at verse 9, we have a change in scene and we meet a sovereign, powerful judge. Contrasted with these beasts coming out of the sea, we now meet order and a ruler who has power to be used for good and order and justice. So verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. I understand this is a way of talking about God. Just for the moment, just notice there's more than one throne here. We'll come back to that. You keep reading. His, his clothing was white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. It's this orderly, powerful picture with God in the middle of it. It's a scene of judgment. God's seated, ready to, to judge, to rule. It's a picture of God in all his sovereignty. Um, we're not told a whole heap of detail of how it happens, but what happens in verses 11 and 12 is that fourth worst beast is dealt with finally, completely. And the other three beasts are permitted to continue for a time. It does sound like Revelation, doesn't it? Um, Daniel is troubled by this apocalyptic vision of the four beasts and this sovereign judge coming out of it all. But then in verses 13 to 14, we meet this judge's appointed ruler. Um, this person is a person, like a son of man. He's not like these beasts you've seen. But he's no less powerful. In fact, he's more powerful and in all the right kind of ways. So verse 13, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, like a human being. Coming with the clouds of heaven, not coming out of the sea, but coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, God, and was led into God's presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You can see the contrast with this Son of Man and the beasts that you've already met. A complete contrast. The way the Son of Man is to rule, the way that rule is described, matches things you've already heard on the way through Daniel. There's echoes of what you've already read through Daniel. Matches what you've been hearing in chapters 1 to 6, as Daniel 1 to 6 has described God's rule, the way God will rule, this everlasting dominion. There's even similarities here with the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter 2. Um, that dream involved a statue, a statue um, with four powerful kingdoms, all of them done away with, and this final kingdom that God establishes, not with human hands, God establishes, lasts forever, rules forever. Those echoing of that idea you hear in, here in chapter 7, the Son of Man will rule forever. Um, the vision echoes the refrains of God ruling um, God ruling for, forever, but now we see the means. He will use this, this human, this one like a son of man. So here in chapter 7 we're reading apocalyptic literature. Um, the style of writing has changed from what we've seen so far in Daniel and it will continue through the rest of the book. A few things to keep in mind as you're reading apocalyptic literature, seeing as we've got a few chapters ahead of us. Firstly, what you're looking for in this kind of vision, this kind of apocalyptic writing, you're looking for the big picture. What's the, the big take-home? What's the, painted, the picture being painted for us? Um, you want to understand the big picture without getting distracted by the detail. So you want to see the forest without getting distracted by the trees. Um, secondly, you need to be prepared that there will be numbers in here that will be symbolic. 
So when, for example, it says um, the four winds of heaven, well, perhaps it just means wind from all directions, every possible direction, north, south, east, west. Um, perhaps the reason there are four beasts or four kingdoms is similar. It's all kingdoms, maybe. That might be the, the, the way to understand the numbers, the symbolism. And thirdly, we should be slow to identify the characters in these visions unless we're told who they are. So hold off on identifying them because it's like it shows you the big picture, the pattern. So don't be very quick to lock in um, the, the people or the persons or the kingdoms. Main thing we want is the big picture. It's a bit like when you go to the cricket or when you go to the football and you've got the scoreboard or the, or the big screen. If you look at it across the field, it's nice and crystal clear. If you turn around and look at the screen behind you, it's pixelated. It's hard to make out. That's what apocalyptic literature is like. You want the big picture without getting distracted by pixels. Um, apocalyptic parts of the Bible are like that. You want to see the big picture. Daniel is a little bit unique in that he gives you the interpretation. He gives you the big picture. And that's what the rest of the chapter is. It explains the vision, unpacks the vision for you. The big picture of this vision, it's given crystal clear so you can't get it wrong. While he's still in dream mode, he's still seeing this vision, Daniel interacts and he asks a question. So if you look at verse 16, um, he asks the question of one of the characters in the, in the vision and he gets the response. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. That's the big picture. That's the purpose of this vision. That's the meaning of this vision. God's saying to Daniel, yeah, things are tough and things will continue to be tough for you and for those around you. You'll have a lot to endure and even those who come after you, but God's in control. There's light at the end of this tunnel. It will finish. There's hope. There is an end. Sure, Belshazzar is a horrible king, um, but he won't live forever. He's a shocking ruler and there'll be more like him. But this whole process will come to an end. There will be justice. God will bring justice. And those who trust in God will be part of his kingdom ruling forever. That's the main point of this vision. It doesn't need to be complicated. There it is. It's given to us. And that should have been an encouragement to Daniel and to the rest of the exiles. That God's in control of all this. Those who trust in God will be ruling with him in the end. But for many people, as they read this part of Daniel and other apocalyptic literature, they miss the main point by getting distracted by all the details, by trying to unravel all the details, by trying to work out when the end will come. What's the timing involved here? They unravel every detail and so they miss the big picture of it. They fail to hang on to the hope that you see there in verses 17 and 18. I wonder if that's Daniel's issue here. Look what he asks. He wants to know details. He wants to know about this, this horn. He's intrigued by the horn. And so he asks about it. But the irony is when you look at the explanation, what he gets is more detail around the pixels. But then the same conclusion. He doesn't really get much of an answer, does he? He gets a closer look at the pixels, but it makes up the same picture. So verse 23, he gave him this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten thorns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the early ones. He will subdue three kings. 
He will speak against the most holy and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and laws. The saints will be handled, handed over him for a time, for times, for half a time. Many people um, read this description and see remarkable parallels with, for example, the kingdom of Rome and the rulers under Rome. And there may be similarities because what we've got here is an unveiling, a pulling back of the curtains, a look at how this world runs how God does things, a visual expression of events. So it's no surprise that it lines up rather nicely in places. But wait long enough and I think you'll find it lines up again with something else as well. I think that's the nature of it. So don't get distracted by the pixels. Don't get distracted by your questions that you want answered. Try to understand the main point. Remember the main point of this vision that's already given to us in verses 17 and 18. And then, after all these details are given... We come back to it again in verse 26. So verse 26, But the court will sit, just like you've already seen, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever, just like you've already seen. Verse 27, Then the sovereignty, power, and gentleness of the kingdoms under the whole earth will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him, like you've already seen. Short, the explanation gives a few more details. Things will get worse, but God will judge, and God's people will prevail. Daniel was given the short explanation in verses 17 and 18. He asks questions, he's given a longer explanation, and the longer explanation underlines the shorter one. So the short explanation is God's in control, there's light at the end of the tunnel. The long explanation is God's in control, there's light at the end of a very dark tunnel. The main point of this vision remains, God's people will suffer under beastly rulers, but it will come to an end. God will judge, bring justice, and his saints will be part of an eternal kingdom. So this vision that Daniel saw, it troubled him, even after the interpretation. You would think that when you look at verse 18 and when you look at verses 27 and following, you'd think that the happy ending would cheer Daniel up, but it doesn't. He's disturbed. And maybe that's because of the images playing around in his mind, the images of these beastly kings and rulers. I mean, you watch the telly news and it's enough to get a feel for how Daniel might have felt. It's not just governments who can be beastly in the way that they rule, it's bosses at work too, isn't it? It's parents in the home. It's very easy for us humans um, to misuse authority and power. And the thing is, this vision showing us, it's not going to go on forever. God will judge. Like maybe this dream is a warning that God will judge. We see some people, we will see some people brought to justice in this life. Others will wait until Jesus returns before we see that justice. And it may not be the main point of the passage, but I do think there's a warning there for us. In the positions in which you rule, in the positions in which you rule under God, you ought to do that. You ought to rule under God with God as sovereign over you. Um, many of you will find yourselves in positions where you supervise others, where you take responsibility for the safety of others, where your decisions impact on the future of others. As Christians, as we fulfil those roles and responsibilities, we don't want to misuse that authority or that position. We ought to lead as Christians, people who are serving God first. Keep that in mind, um, because God has a plan for us to rule with him in eternity. And we'll come back to that. There's a few more things to look at first. So the main point of this vision is it's only a matter of time 
before God brings justice and establishes his ruler forever. Um, before God will judge human rulers and install his appointed king. I told you you shouldn't be quick to identify who the characters are in this vision, but there is one character who is identified for us by the New Testament, and that's the Son of Man. So when you come to the Gospels, when you come to the New Testament and you read the Gospels, Jesus talks about himself as this Son of Man in Daniel's vision. I think you see it very clearly um, when you come to Mark's Gospel. So Jesus takes on himself the title of the Son of Man, talks about himself in third person like that. I think this is what we're meant to be remembering. Daniel 7 verse 13 and surrounding. That Son of Man. And so in Mark chapter 14 verse 61, when Jesus is before the high priest, this is the interaction that happens. Um, Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Doesn't that sound like Daniel 7 verse 13? Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus sitting at God's right hand with God. It's like Jesus saying, yeah, that's me. This vision back in Daniel 7 of a, rule, a ruler that will come and rule forever, God's appointed king, that's me. Jesus quotes Daniel. He is the son of man. Um, Jesus is the light at the end of the tunnel. And so for us as Christians, as we read Daniel 7, we can plug that in. We can tick that. We can see that. And so this vision helps us understand a little bit more about the way God will use Jesus to bring justice and to judge. Um, Daniel, from his perspective, he looks ahead to the arrival of the Son of Man, which we see as Jesus. Um, he looks ahead not just to Jesus' birth and death and resurrection, but to Jesus' return, his sovereign rule and sovereign judging, his second coming. Um, God is in control. He's working to a plan. And Jesus is the light at the end of the long, dark tunnel. So if you're trusting in Jesus, well, that makes this vision encouraging, doesn't it? A positive reinforcement. There's something else um, in this vision of Daniel's that we tend to miss. It's there in verse 7, verse 18 rather, chapter 7, verse 18, and it's there in verse 27. The saints, God's people, will rule with Jesus. So in verse 18, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever. Maybe that's why there's more than one throne in the vision. Or again down in verse 27, Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. God's people, we will rule with God. It's a huge thing to think about. All worshipping and obeying God. Um, it's not a new idea in the Bible. This is like what was intended in Genesis. Humans ruling the world under God. It's what's intended, but made right, made complete. Um, in Genesis, God gives humans the task of ruling the world under him. This vision says God's going to make that happen, despite the mess we've made of the place. You see the same expectation elsewhere in the Bible too. Psalm 8 is a good place to go. So if you were to read through Psalm 8, it talks about God putting everything under humans, everything under mankind. Then when you come to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2 looks back at this psalm. And says, yeah, God plans to put everything under, under mankind, but we don't see that now. But Hebrews 2 verses 5 to 10 says, we see Jesus though. We see Jesus made of human, ruling like we don't. 
And Hebrews talks about Jesus bringing many sons to glory. You see how it works? Jesus paves the way, makes it possible for us to rule with him under God, which is an incredible image as you think about it. It's just like the Garden of Eden, only proper. Just like Psalm 8, but it works. It's just a matter of time before that is complete. And so while we wait for that amazing goal, we look back at this picture in, in Daniel 7, and we need to think about how we rule now. How are you practising? We will be called on to rule at home or at work or at church. As you do that, serve with or rule with God as your ultimate master, serving to please him. And if you're enduring a poor leader, when you find events around you disturbing, remind yourself of Daniel's vision. Daniel had a glimpse of the kingdom that God brings, and it's good and it's right. Daniel had a vision, yet it scared him because he was seeing the beastly mess that human rulers can make. But he also saw God as sovereign and God ruling over everything and God establishing his kingdom forever. Um, I think the most obvious things to take away from Daniel 7 are that God is in control, you can trust him. That God has a chosen king, Jesus will rule forever. And we're all with him. But in the meantime, we should expect a bumpy ride at the hands of human rulers. Um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know, these are things that you, you know. But it's so good to be reminded of them and to see them made so clear in this part of Daniel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know that you are sovereign, that everything is in your hands, that you have control over everything in this world and every human being here. Lord, we trust you. We know that you are good and kind and gracious and fair. And Lord, we know that you sent your son, Jesus, to deal with sin, to deal with death and to rule forever. Lord, we pray that you would help us to submit to him as our ruler. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.